Hey everyone, and welcome to the Cyber Brief Podcast, the cybersecurity show that uncovers the latest cyber attacks, hacks, and stories that matter to all of us. I'm your host, Mickey Cockrell at the NCC. Buzzwords we often hear like empowerment, personal protection, and privacy are sometimes diluted to the point of becoming background noise in our busy lives. But privacy and empowerment, particularly in the context of cybersecurity, are extremely important. So what does empowerment in cyber mean? How can we truly achieve it? And what does that tangibly look like? I spoke with NCC board member Leslie Kershaw, CEO of Siren Solutions, to help demystify some of these concepts and bring practical tips to the table. Today, we dive into empowerment in cybersecurity, empowerment for personal protection, privacy, and for small business owners. Leslie, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I, I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Um, Leslie, um, before we jump in, I, I feel like you have just such an interesting story to tell and uh, a robust, uh, diverse background. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today? Sure. Uh, it's, I guess, a little bit strange. I didn't come from a tech, ba- tech background originally. Uh, so after undergrad, I joined uh, the Army after 9-11 and ended up becoming what's called a signals analyst. So immediately went on deployment to Iraq for a year and then got recruited for what's called a special missions unit. Um, that special missions unit uh, works specifically in cyber attack. Um, so I knew nothing about computers and started self-learning. So I started reading books on operating systems and Pentium processors and that sort of thing, and then ended up um, becoming the Army's first female hacker and then uh, stayed at the NSA first as an Army person, then as a civilian, um, ended up running um, what was the cryptologic service group from NSA to DHS. It was the first time that we had focused solely on cyber uh, from that aspect. And then OPM happened. So it was kind of perfect timing. It was the first time that we had a CSG that focused on cyber. We helped with that event. And then I came out to the commercial sector. So I've been in a series of cybersecurity startups since um, coming out to the civilian sector. And I'm now trying to start a company that brings together uh, cyber professionals with small and medium-sized businesses to help them protect themselves. Great. And what's the name of this company? It's called Siren. Siren Solutions, which you are the CEO and founder? That's correct. Awesome. Very, very exciting. Leslie, um, yeah, what a what a vibrant, cool background. Um, I, I think you are a fantastic person to walk us through this journey today. Um, in this podcast, we've talked a lot so far about hacks that have happened, kind of the history of cybersecurity, some of the issues, workforce deficit, um, and even reoccurring scams. But I want to talk a little bit more today about um, empowerment in cybersecurity, you know, empower- empowerment for personal protection, empowerment for your privacy, and even for small business owners and leaders. Um, but first, you know, I want to talk about personal protection. Leslie, talk to us about what are some of the main personal attacks people can experience? Sure. So for personal attacks, um, I actually ran for one of my last companies, Redacted Incorporated, a cyber executive protection program. And one of the things that we would do is perform an assessment on those people and their families, because typically if you're an attacker, you're not just looking at the person that you're trying to target. The 
executive in a company, you're also looking at their children and their spouses because they're probably easier targets. Your corporate systems are pretty secure, but like your kids are probably putting all kinds of information out on the internet. So when you're thinking about yourself and how you look to a potential attacker, the first thing you do is you start with, okay, what are the main ways that I'm going to be attacked? Hmm. And we see this a lot, uh, a lot of phishing emails. Um, We see text phishing now where people are pretending to be a a corporation that they're not. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we see a lot of blackmail too. So uh, I'll, I'll share a story. A friend of mine, um, I'll leave her name out of this. She was actually a cyber expert and then started this virtual relationship with somebody that she thought she knew online and then got scammed out of some money because it turned out that person wasn't real. And so this can happen to anyone, I think. And just being cognizant of who you're talking to and making sure that whoever you're talking to is who they say they are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's scary, frankly, that, you know, your your family members are, you know, potential targets and, and your children even. But it seems like this is a stark reality that we should be facing. Absolutely. So the scariest story that I've heard, particularly when it comes to children, is, again, a really close friend of mine. Um, his niece was abducted playing Roblox. Um, so that's how it started. Again, not understanding who the real person is that you're speaking to and extending that knowledge out to your children that whoever you're providing information to, you need to validate that. So whether it's a company that is pretending to be your utility company, going back to their corporate phone numbers and calling them and saying, is this really you? The same thing applies when you're talking to people on the internet. So in this particular case, a uh, 10-year-old girl started playing Roblox with somebody she thought was a 10-year-old girl. And then unfortunately, um, she was abducted because it wasn't. And so I think instilling that mindset in your children that you don't know who these people are. Yeah. And I think that's a really critical takeaway for your personal protection for your family. I mean, it's just, it's shocking hearing that story, but at the same time, it's reality. It is. Um, what, what are some other things that you can do um, to look out for these type of... Um, attacks in general and how you can protect against them. Absolutely. So the first thing is um, anytime that you're looking at an email and it sounds too good to be true, back check it. So if some business is telling you that you're going to win something, go back to their official website, see if that's something that actually exists. Um, The same thing where somebody says you owe them money, it's the IRS or whatnot, go back to the official IRS website, call the number, sit on line forever (laughs) and validate (laughs) that you actually owe what you owe. And then when it comes to your kids, one of the things that I've always advised my clients on is um, never post anything in real time. And I think kids have a really hard time with that, but so do parents sometimes too. So for instance, like our family is on social media, but we don't post about where we are in real time. We wait until after that event has occurred because I never want anyone to know where we actually are. Like a vacation maybe. That's exactly right. Kids hockey tournaments, we were just talking about that before we came on. Um, I would never post that stuff in real time because I wouldn't want somebody to know where my children are if they were being targeted. And then uh, we also turn off any GPS settings on our phones. Mm. So the only time that you should be sharing any information about your whereabouts on your devices, whether it's your laptops or your phone, all of those GPS settings should always be off. You should be using private browsing. Anytime that you're using the internet, um, use VPNs. Uh, Cloudflare has a great application now that you can download that um, that will secure you both from malware and it'll also help protect you from a privacy perspective. So look for those types of software. I feel like this is a great segue into um, another thing that we'd like to dive into a little bit. Just yesterday, I was telling you before this call, I was setting up 
Google TV on my home. It was asking for so many, um, uh, uh, oh geez, what's the word? I'm trying to blank. Uh, permissions. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here like, okay, you know, every, every, it feels like every single app, you know, is asking for so many permissions and it feels like privacy is just an interesting um, notion today because it, it seems like every organization, every company, you know, wants access. Um, so, so Leslie, I want to talk about privacy a little bit, but I kind of, I want to ask you about like the state of privacy in 2022. Sure. Um, what, like, what is the state of privacy? If, if I could ask that and what, um, what was it like versus maybe 10 years ago or even 20 years ago? Sure. So I think, um, 20 years ago is when we just started to see the ad tech ecosystem become a reality. And when you think of ad tech, this is targeted, advertisements to your devices based off of kind of your persona. So, you know, you're uh, in my uh, 40-year-old soccer mom in my case, you know. Um, so it's it's targeting you based off of those demographic, demographics in order for those different organizations to try to sell you things. So that is when that ecosystem started to come into formation. Um, Ten years ago, I think people started to realize, like, hey, I don't know if I really want people to know that information about me because now I'm carrying my cell phone around with me everywhere and I don't want to just walk into a store and have an advertisement hit me. Maybe I want a little bit more privacy. And then fast forward to about 2016 is when I think the GDRP came into play. And GDRP is, it covers European Union countries and it protects their privacy. In the United States, we're just starting to see that sort of... um, work come into play legally. It started in California. And so I think it's CCRP, if that's correct. But um, that started in 2018. And what that's doing now is it's giving people more control over their personal information. So now by default, you have to ask explicitly, can I share or have your data? And then in those in those categories, EU and California, you have to explicitly state, yes, I want to share my data. And most of the time, you're going to see people say no. Well, um, I mean... California, you said, was 2018? 2018. So it's 2022 now. Right. Um, is there anything really being done at the federal level for this? No, not necessarily. To- We're not seeing stuff at the federal level. We okay. are starting to see some organizations in the government. And that's kind of part of the problem, too, is that the government hasn't decided which organization actually has a responsibility for Interesting. this. <laughs> so you're going to start to see that food fight come about um, as legislation legislation starts to come forward. Um Moving into like the small business realm, uh, CISA at DHS is trying to enact some um, requirements for reporting to the government. So that's covering the other side of the house, but not privacy. So I haven't seen anything federally where they've mandated requirements on on companies yet. Well, it sounds like then ultimately, um, you know, protecting privacy is up to the individual and the family. That's right. What what can you do to protect your privacy online? Sure. So I think um, the easiest steps that you could take is, you know, Google yourself, Google your name, your spouse's name, your children's name, and any data that's out there that you don't want out there, you can go to those websites and say, I want it removed. And so uh, usually they'll have um, a section that you can do that automatically, or you could just contact them directly and say, I want this data removed from the internet and they're obligated to comply. Um, If you find a website where they're tracking like your ad ID, usually there's agreements in place um, between these cohorts of companies that if you're removed from one, you'll be removed from a lot. So you could look out for that as well. Your ad ID is the 
um, the ID that's uh, tied to your devices. And so then it prevents you from being tracked by those those advertisers. Interesting. So Leslie, talk, talk through um, some of the privacy settings on our phones and browsers that we can select. Sure. So um, it's different per device. If you're on an Apple, they've actually gone out and made it more private. So they're going to rotate your ad ID periodically on their own. You don't have to do anything. It used to be a setting that you could rotate it like force of rotation, which was great because then you could do that once a day or whatever the case might be. Now they're doing that automatically. And it's much harder for the ecosystem to track you on those, um, those Apple IDs. But go ahead and shut off your GPS settings for everything except for what you need it for. So like your maps and that sort of thing. Um, If you're on an Android device, then you can force an ad ID reset and the same thing with your GPS settings. And then for your browsers, uh, try to use a private browser if possible. Um, You you mentioned a few things about you know, your kids and how important it is. How can you talk to your kids um, about safeguarding themselves online and, you know, using SSNs? Sure. So uh, those are always really hard conversations. And I have a preteen and talking to him about the fact that things always exist, even if you send them and you think they're temporary. If you're using Snapchat, which I don't allow my kids to use those sorts of things. But if they were, I would tell them, like, even if you think it's disappearing, it's not. It's really easy to screenshot and reshare. And then you have no control. And that lives with you forever. That's a really hard concept for kids to understand. But I think sharing that is important. Um, They've made it really easy. All the credit uh, check companies like Equifax and TransUnion, they'll they'll allow you to freeze your children's social security credit report, which is really important. Hmm. So attackers can actually go out and try to scrape your kids' social security numbers and then create credit cards on their behalf. And then it goes to an address that you have no idea. So your kids can walk into their adult life with a bad credit score because somebody has taken advantage of their social security numbers. I would say go in and proactively freeze your children's credit reports. Interesting. I, I think I've heard that before, but that's I think that's really important to hone in on for your kids. Um, is there, is there anything else that you would just recommend or really want to hit home on for privacy protection? Yeah, I think the important thing is, um, you know, try, try where possible to not share data about your children. You know, set your private, your social, your social media settings to private. Take off any sort of GPS identifiers on your phones. Like don't allow your, your camera access to that information. Um, don't share what elementary school your children go to, what sports programs that they're involved in, where it's easy to identify when and where they're going to be. Um, and then for your children's sakes, you know, just putting those family protection softwares in place so that they are harder to access by a stranger. Great. Thank you, Leslie. Um, you alluded earlier to small businesses and small business owners. Um, I'm, I'm curious in in what you're seeing. Um, you know, we, we always hammer home and we always talk about cyber risks um, that are exponentially increasing. Um, does that apply to small businesses as well? Or is there a particular risk to small businesses? Absolutely. So we're just seeing in general an uptick in cyber attacks and attackers don't care who you are. At the end of the day, um, they call it like spray and pray. You know, they're just going to toss their attacks out to anyone that's vulnerable. Hmm. And unfortunately, those small and medium-sized businesses don't have the protection. It Typically, those CISOs don't come into play until your company is making a billion dollars or more in revenue. So that means that you don't have a standing security executive in your company as a small business. So 
What these folks should be looking for is outsourcing where possible. So um, finding a managed security service provider that you trust. And then there's some work that goes in on the owner's end too. So you know, as your company, as the owner of your company, what's critical. Like if, um, if my manufacturing plant went down, that's terrible. But if I can't accept orders, then my company stops making money. So understanding that it's actually that processing system on the internet, that's the most critical piece and protecting that and then conveying that to that managed security service provider. So they're not inundating you with data. Don't tell me about every system that's been attacked. Tell me about the ones that really, really matter to me. And that way I'm not being overloaded with data. So that's super important for them to do. Um, also, you know, looking into cyber insurance, but then what really hurts, I think, every business owner, small and medium or enterprise is pre-negotiating incident response. So you're probably going to get attacked at some point. If you wait until you're bleeding to go sign a contract, then they're kind of, you're at the mercy of whoever these folks are. So if you can pre-negotiate those incident mm. response contracts ahead of time, then you can negotiate a lower rate. You know, and a lot of things we talk about um, with personal um, cyber hygiene is just looking out for things like wire transfer frauds. Does that affect small businesses? Yeah, unfortunately, um, that's probably the biggest one that we see is really? that, um, yeah. So I know the mortgage industry just a few years ago during COVID when people were buying houses like crazy, they really got hit with this. And so they didn't put in just procedurally things that would have protected them from, you know, their clients and themselves losing thousands to millions of dollars. So having two-person verification for a set amount of money is hmm. crucial. Setting up that multi-factor authentication. So, you know, getting those text messages or putting up like Google, Google Authenticator to authenticate yourself into your bank accounts is really important. And then um, having that voice verification with your bank to say, if it's this amount of money, I want somebody to actually verbally approve this with you from our company. Those types of procedures really go a long way in safeguarding your money. And I think one other thing to think about as well is, you know, something that we might not have thought about 20, even 10 years ago, but is employees leaving the company, offboarding. Yes. Are there any particular risks there? Definitely. So um, I had a weird incident a long time ago where uh, they ended up needing to fire their CTO. And so they didn't do a good enough job of um, understanding where all of their data was located. And then this guy was a little bit of a loose cannon. And so he had the ability to basically delete all of their data and they didn't know where their backups were. So understanding what level of access your folks have, where your backup data is, and then when you're offboarding them, making sure that they're completely closed off from the company. So it's usually a good idea to um, kind of close off their accounts before they're actually terminated so that you know that they can't access and then kind of detonate one of these um, attacks that will wipe out your, your information. <laughs> Leslie, thank you so much for being with us today on the Cyber Brief podcast. Um, this is the part of the show where we get to hear your final thoughts. Um, you know, folks might be intimidated or even, you know, worried or anxious about protecting themselves, their kids, their privacy, or as small business owners and leaders. Um, what can they do to stay ahead of the curve and, you know, what can they do as they look to the future? Sure. I think it's like anything else in your life. Um, you should assume that the worst case scenario is probably going to happen and plan towards that and then have those measures put in place. So it's not as scary when it does happen. So thinking through um, building those relationships with the expertise that you need ahead of time and then implementing those things before they're required, I think is the, the key takeaway for both individuals and small business owners. 
Thank you, Leslie. And the one other question I would ask typically is where can folks find you online? But it sounds like per <laughs> our privacy agreement, maybe maybe that's not a great question to ask. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm sure you'll find me on LinkedIn um, based off of this connection. So you could find me there. <laughs> great. Um, Leslie, again, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Vicki. In our world where cyber and privacy buzzwords are overused, Leslie breaks down these topics by providing practical tips that help us see the forest for the trees. We hope you can apply some of Leslie's tips in your everyday cyber hygiene. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cyber Brief Podcast. If you enjoyed it, hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about us. A special thank you to Alyssa Roach and John Bullen for their production and editing work on this episode. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, think before you click.